One of the ways that we can learn about the importance of the Bible is actually by looking backwards to church history, important figures who have set high examples for us to follow. And one of those is the man John Calvin. Highly controversial name, but let's spend some time talking about him and what he can teach us about the importance of the Bible. Welcome to episode number 68 of the Better Bible Reading Podcast. Kevin Morse here along with you for another episode. Something we haven't done in quite a while is some of these church history podcast episodes. I like to do these from time to time because it's always so important for us to not get caught in our own little worlds, to be trapped in our own little vacuums. One of the means of grace, if I can even go that far, that the Lord gives to us is the fact that we don't live this life in isolation. We're not supposed to, and I know that sounds very counterintuitive to uh, the new normal, as everybody loves to say during this time when we're being told to isolate, to distance. And sometimes when we think about those concepts, we only think about them in terms of our social interaction with people. But as it turns out, we all are actually very, very good at mental and even psychological distancing from other people. Maybe you don't know this, but it's true. It's true of all of us. We tend to formulate our view of the Christian life based on our own circumstances and our own life experience. Now, there's some ways that we can't even escape this, right? There's, there's no way to really correct this, uh, because if we're conscious of the fact that we're alive, that we're thinking people, that we're self-aware, there's really no way to live without interpreting life through your life. That might sound incredibly redundant. But the point is that we must know this. If we know this, then we are going to be more careful as Christians, to make sure that we are not going to too much of an extreme on one side or the other, making too big of a deal of something we should take lightly, or taking lightly something that we really should make a big deal of. Now, my solution that I want to present you with to this dilemma that we find ourselves in is church history. If you've been listening to me for any amount of time, you've heard me say this before, that church history is that perhaps boring, perhaps awkward, maybe even overlooked element of the Christian life, which is so necessary for us to take heed, to make use of. Because when we're able to look back at other people's lives, we're able to capitalize on the things that really made a difference in their lives, and we're able to shun away from the things that are detrimental. We have a great advantage of retrospect when we study church history. And furthermore, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews to follow after those who have set the example of faith before us to mimic them, to capitalize on the great examples that they have set for us. And so God wants us to have 
this retrospect as part of our Christian lives. We should not define Christianity solely on the year 2020 or whatever year it is that you're listening to this episode. We must realize that we are recipients of a rich history, a rich tradition of God's people throughout the generations. And so there's tons of great examples, of course, that we could look to. Probably one of the most well-known ones is John Calvin. That's who I want to focus our attention on in this episode. Now, I'm going to start out by saying, uh, maybe I don't even need to say this, maybe you already know this, but depending on your church context, the name John Calvin could either invoke great sympathy and appreciation or great hostility. In my own context, which I grew up in, a few different churches, there was never any mention of John Calvin. There was tons of mention of Calvinism. And it was really mentioned by way of almost a curse word. It was almost you said the C word if you said Calvinism, because you were bringing up ideas of election and predestination heaven and hell, really controversial issues, and so you really wanted to get away from um, this system or even this man who invented these ideas of God arbitrarily choosing one person and not another, and almost this yin and yang concept of God who cares just as much about sending people to hell as he does to heaven, right? These are those caricatures that I was hearing growing up in a church that was non-reformed or non-Calvinistic, to put it two different ways. Uh, Now I find myself in a context which is really a recipient of the tradition of John Calvin dating back to the Protestant Reformation, what we now refer to as as modern-day Presbyterianism. Being part of a Presbyterian church, I am part of, I suppose you could say, the tradition of John Calvin. But again, when we think about concepts such as Calvinism or Lutheranism or Methodism dating back to John Wesley, we always want to be careful that we don't boil down the memory or the history of a person to the system that bears their name. Now, that's not because the systems always get it wrong. That's not because the systems are always bad representations of the people. But it's because the people were real people. They had real struggles. They had real growing pains, personalities, and histories. Same can be said with John Calvin. I would go so far as to say that the vast majority of people who despise the term Calvinism, who stick their noses up at it, who hate the sound of it, are probably also the same people who have never taken time to learn anything about John Calvin the man or to read anything that he has written. And so this episode, although you may have almost seen it as clickbait when you saw the name John Calvin, this episode is not about Calvinism. This episode is about John Calvin. Even more directly, This episode is about what John Calvin can teach us about the importance of the Bible. And this is not going to be a biography. There's 
tons of good ones that have already been written before, tons of great audio and and uh, lectures that you can find about John Calvin in terms of his history. But I wanted to spend some time just kind of surveying what he can teach us about the importance of the Bible. As America, where I live at, is a generally a Protestant representation of Christianity, it's important to understand that Protestantism dates all the way back to Martin Luther in the 1500s, the Protestant Reformation. And if you want to situate John Calvin, basically think of John Calvin as the next generation after Luther. Luther would be like a father figure to John Calvin in terms of the age difference. And so sometimes it's just helpful to think of the way that big names in church history relate to one another. So we're looking at about 450 years ago-ish from the time of this recording, looking back at a person who lived in the midst of the European Reformation, that Roman Catholicism was being exposed for all of its distortions of the Bible. And what that meant was that Calvin and those alive in his day were embarking on not a revolution, not a new thing, but going back to the sources, reforming, bringing it back to the true form which it was originally intended to be understood. This meant going back to the original Hebrew Old Testament, the original Greek New Testament, and really studying the scriptures. Of course, if any any of you are familiar with history, you'll know that the printing press came out right at the same time as Luther was beginning to expound on his differences with Roman Catholicism. And so that meant that a large amount of information was able to get out. It was almost like the modern-day experience of the internet, right? The printing press allowed people to get information out to such a wide audience. It was never before experienced in this way, and so people were able to get copies of the Bible. People were able to get vast amounts of literature in a way that was truly unprecedented. And so Calvin is right in the aftermath of this great innovation. And so Calvin is first and foremost a writer. If you want to know anything about John Calvin, it really must be understood that he was a writer. You can go online to take a look at all the things that he has written, or you go to any thrift bookstore that has a generous amount of Christian literature. And you will find volume after volume after volume of John Calvin. And that's because he dedicated his life as a Christian to writing about the Bible and writing about the Christian life. Now, there's two ways that he did this. The first, writing about the Bible, can be seen in his commentaries on books of the Bible. As I sit here in my office at my church, I look over and see tons of volumes that Calvin has dedicated, not just the New Testament books, but the entire Bible, uh, besides the book of Revelation, because he 
presumably passed away before he made it to that. But just large volumes devoted to uncovering the meaning of the Bible, just somebody who was truly saturated in the Bible. And one of the great benefits we also have is not only the more technical side of things in his commentaries, but we also have volume after volume of his sermons that have been written. And these are great because we can see the way that he interacts with the Bible in a way that was unique to the people he was preaching to, right? So very applicatory, very practical approaches to the Bible. But then you also have his writings about the Christian life. And while you could point to different ways that he's done this, I think probably the most profound, the most iconic representation of Calvin's take on the Christian life is a massive book, or at least two medium-sized volumes, depending on which version of it you have, of John Calvin's book called Institutes of the Christian Religion. This is probably the most well-known book of all of Calvin's writings that people know of uh, throughout the generations of church history. This book is massive. My own copy of this numbers at over 900 pages long. I mean, it's just this massive volume. It's one that he started in his 20s and kept coming out with new additions to it because he kept adding things to it and going into more detail about things. And so we have the latest and greatest, of course, uh, addition to his book. And this book, while you look at it at a bookstore or if you have a copy in person, you would think that it's this massive scholarly treatment of all things related to Christianity. But what's really important is to actually know the framework and the background to why he wrote this book. So as I said, Calvin is alive and writing during a time of uncertainty because the Reformation is really just starting to take off in a region where nothing else other than Roman Catholicism was understood as the right expression of Christianity. You take a look at his preface to the book, which is actually included in my copy, and it's fascinating that his first kind of introduction to his readers was given in 1539, and you still have him writing um, an introduction to the latest revision, which is also included in my book, in the year 1559. So you have a 20-year window that Calvin is writing later editions or translating it uh, to new languages, and it's just a really fascinating phenomenon. Um, but anyhow, he writes initially to the reader in 1539, and he says, this. He says that basically what he's trying to do in this book is give a reader a simple overview of the Christian religion. If you were to look at the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is the article of faith to which my denomination uses, written roughly 100 years later from the time of Calvin's book here, you have 
basically a very compressed version of what Calvin says the Bible is all about. Calvin says here in his letter that what he's trying to do is to help readers ascertain both what we should principally look for in Scripture, and then he says also to what head he ought to refer whatever is contained in it. The Westminster Confession basically takes that idea and runs with it in our catechism. Now, if I'm throwing out a lot of words that you don't understand, just bear with me. The catechism says in one of the questions, what do the scriptures principally teach? The answer to that is the scriptures teach what we are to believe concerning God and what God requires of us. If you were to sum the Bible into its form, into its formulation, the Bible teaches us what we're supposed to believe about God. In other words, the Bible contains God's revelation of himself to us and what he requires of us. We could say it this way. The Bible teaches us what it means that God is God and what it means that we are human beings. Who God is and what it means that we have been created in his image. Of course, all issues of marriage, of job, of living situation, of ethics, of morality, all of those things fall up underneath those two concepts, but it's the Bible which reveals to us what life is all about, because life is contained in the fact that God is creator, that God has revealed himself to us, and that God has made us as human beings. He's made us in his image, and that carries with it a tremendous difference in understanding ourselves as created in the image of God as man and woman versus being fish or being cats or being plants, right? And it matters that God reveals himself the way that he does as opposed to this abstract idea, which we call God, or this impersonal force, which we might refer to as God. But instead, God reveals himself very explicitly. And so it is in that kind of structure that Calvin writes this book, Institutes of the Christian Religion. What you'll see him do, which is funny because this book, it is a little heavy reading. Um, The reason for that is because what Calvin is doing in this book is he's addressing who God is and who we are in light of that. Now, that's very, very generally speaking. But to put it another way, Calvin walks through the tenets of Scripture, of what, Bible, of what the Bible teaches us about God. So he deals with the fact that God reveals himself. He deals with the fact that God is triune, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He deals with the fact that we are sinners, that though we've been created in God's image, we have sinned and rebelled against him, and therefore we are in 
great need of a Savior. We are in need of one to atone for our sins. And he speaks about what happens when that atonement takes place, that we are God's people, that we are God's church, that we live in this union with Jesus Christ. And we live on this earth as God's people, right? So you can see very quickly that all Calvin's doing is he's unpacking the gospel message, the Christian worldview. But the reason that this book is so thick is because he does so sometimes in technical ways, but most importantly, he does so by contrasting what he presents as the proper truth of Scripture with what Roman Catholicism teaches. Because you got to remember, this was really a struggle for Calvin to make sure that he wasn't being understood, or any of the other reformers for that matter, as this innovator, as this revolutionary writer, this prolific thought process that nobody had ever grasped before. So you'll see him regularly referring back to the earlier church fathers, probably Augustine more than anyone else. But he's pointing back to what he says, and then he says, this isn't anything new. This was said way back when. And of course, he does go to the Bible again and again and again in this book as well. But it's really important to understand this book is really presenting Protestantism during that time and contrasting it with Roman Catholicism. That these are two mutually exclusive representations of what the Bible teaches as a whole. So the book especially gets a bit controversial, at least probably to his original readers, because he also deals with two aspects of the Christian life that were very, very crucial to Roman Catholicism, and that is baptism and the Lord's Supper. Calvin wasn't the only one, but the other reformers, along with Calvin, were making the case that the Bible really only teaches two sacraments. You think about Roman Catholicism, which was making the claim that the Bible teaches seven sacraments. Not only, according to Calvin, does the Bible only teach two sacraments, but these two sacraments have been distorted by Roman Catholicism. So then you get into the whole idea of what is the Lord's Supper and what is it not, and what is baptism, and what is it not. Right, so this is certainly a theology book. It's certainly heavy reading for somebody who wants it to be. But when you read the introduction, Calvin's main goal in writing this book is to simply unpack in a systematized fashion what the Bible principally teaches. If you were to try to summarize the big ideas of the Bible and also do a little bit of compare and contrast with the competing views, such as Roman Catholicism, what would that look like? How would you articulate it? How would you formulate that? That's what this book is. That's what Calvin is trying to do. And naturally, this begs the question, okay, Kevin, so does that mean you're telling us to just read this massive volume of theology? Well, in one sense, yes, I think it would be a great idea because it's a great book. But more than that, what I'm trying to get you to understand 
is that the whole reason Calvin wrote this is because he saw the Bible as that important. You remember not too long ago, in a previous episode, I talked about how important it is for us to really come to terms with our biblical convictions. One of the saddest things that comes with the territory of being in a country such as the United States where any denomination is free to teach whatever in the world they want. And if you don't like any of that, you can simply go make your own denomination, or you can even decide to be inconsistent in whatever denomination it is that you belong to, and you can regularly disagree with it. In other words, truth really takes a back seat or it's thrown out the window of the car altogether. Because you can believe what you want, I can believe what I want, Not only because we're free to, but because the level of importance just simply isn't there. If you were to ask the average person what they believe about baptism, or what they believe about the fact that God is triune, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the average person would probably give an answer that could be boiled down to as, I don't really think it matters. I don't really think it's a big deal. You're free to believe what you want. I'm free to believe what I want. Now, in one sense, that's true because we do live in a free country. Those of you who are in the United States, anyways, we are not taught that we're supposed to go kill people that don't agree with us. That will be on the side of extremism. That will be on the side of religious violence. And that is certainly not something the Bible teaches. So we shouldn't want to kill people in different denominations or different religions for that matter. But that is a very different thing from saying truth is cheap and true convictions really don't matter to me. It's a sad thing that that is the attitude of so many people. I think we really should take seriously the fact that God has decided to reveal himself To us. God has presented himself to us. God could have, if he wanted to, not associate with us. He could have decided to remain a mystery to us. You think about it, God has not given the plants a Bible, God has not revealed himself and come into relationship with plants the way that he does with human beings. We have a tremendous privilege. Not only the fact that God is willing and interested in communing with us, but also in the fact that God has not left it to ourselves to figure him out. But he has actually revealed himself to us. He has given us his word. That is what the Bible is. And so it matters that we read it. Because it is God communicating himself to us. And that's what Calvin's saying in this massive book. He's saying, look, God has revealed himself to us. God has given an answer to all of these theological issues. God has given answers in these matters of doctrine that we don't agree on. And if God has taken the time and gone to the trouble of giving us an answer to these things, they must be important. 
And if that's the case, we really should want to spend the time to uncover the answer to them. If God finds it important enough to give us an answer, we should find it important enough to come to an answer of those things. Now, some people say that in Calvin doing this, he really was kind of the innovator of what we now call today systematic theology. This is a great example of systematic theology, taking the big ideas of the Bible and putting them into summary form or to look at all of the big ideas and give explanations to all of them based on what the Bible teaches as a whole. Now, this doesn't downplay one verse here or one verse there. It doesn't downplay looking at books of the Bible as a whole, because that's certainly what Calvin's doing as he writes his commentaries on books of the Bible, as he preaches through books of the Bible. But what it does say to us is that since God is true and since God gives clear answers to these things, it is not wrong of us to want to put them in summary form, because all we're doing is we're trying to process the information that God gives to us and put it in a way that we can kind of mentally digest. That's what systematic theologies are doing. We're not putting God in a box. We're taking seriously everything God says and making sure that we don't come up with our own ideas about God that contradicts something that he's clearly said about himself or clearly said about us and how we are to live our lives. And so that's what this book is doing, and that's the great model that were given by Calvin. Calvin, who is just a great example to us of really a genius. Uh, It's been said in his own French context to which he preached that he had in front of him Hebrew Old Testament or Greek New Testament, depending on what book of the Bible he was preaching through, and that he basically was translating into French as he read and as he preached. That is a fascinating thing. Now, he's not the only person that can do something like this, but when you take into the account the breadth of his knowledge as you read his writings, you could have the tendency to think he's in a class all by himself and I can't relate to him whatsoever. But when you actually go to the trouble, to understand the heart behind the man, the heart behind the man that thought the Bible was such a big deal that he should preach verse by verse through it, that he should dedicate his life to writing on every book of the Bible he possibly had time to, and that he wrote this massive volume to treat the big ideas of Scripture because he didn't want people to be left in the dark. He didn't want people to struggle with what Roman Catholicism was teaching and then think that the Protestants were out there just with their interesting new little ideas they were kicking around. But instead, he wanted to take readers by the hand and show them, look, this is a survey of the Bible. This is a survey of what God has revealed to us. Look how marvelous these ideas are. If he goes to the trouble of that, What he's communicating to us is that the Bible is profoundly important, that the Bible is a tremendous gift from God to us, 
that it is a gift that we can open up and read day after day. The case during Calvin's day was that technologically the Bible was just getting to a point where virtually every person could have a copy in their home. But think about today. Think about how easily accessible it is to us. Not even having to open a hard copy, but literally just picking up your phone or opening up a tab on your computer and you have the Bible right there in any translation you could possibly imagine. We have the world at our fingertips, and we certainly have the Bible at our fingertips. And so Calvin is just one example, and this book he wrote is just one example of how important the Bible is to us. And we should take time to study people like John Calvin so that we can have a greater sense of the importance of the Bible, because after all, that's what better Bible reading is all about. Well, friends, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I pray that it's been helpful to you. If you missed any of the previous episodes or want to know more about Better Bible Reading, please check out betterbiblereading.com. You can find tons of more information there. And if you've been helped by this episode, I'd greatly appreciate you to invite a friend to subscribe to this on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. And I'll be glad to be alongside you for another episode real soon. Take care.